Welcome to another episode of Media Industry Conversations. I'm your host, Kyle Rather. This speaker series was developed as a part of a course in the Department of Radio, Television, and Film at the University of Texas at Austin. Students hear from industry professionals who talk about their experiences, knowledge, and thoughts on the changing media landscape. This week's guest is Jennifer Howell. She's the head of comedy development for Paramount Television, where she finds, develops, and sells series to broadcast. Before that, she was the head of 20th Century Fox Television's animation department. For years, Howell worked closely with South Park's Trey Parker and Matt Stone on a number of projects, including feature films and TV series. And she's a graduate of the Radio, Television, and Film Department. She spoke on October 5th, 2015, on the UT campus, and the conversation was hosted by Cindy McCreary. Well, welcome. Um, thank you for joining us on the speaker series of uh, Media Industry Conversations. I'm Cindy McCreary, um, assistant professor of screenwriting, and I want to thank uh, my collaborator, Elisa, and RTAs, Kyle, and Tim, and um, I thank faculty, staff of RTF, and um, the College of uh, Communications. I guess I should get Moody in there, Moody School of Communications. Um, and be sure to check the website and for future guests, and be sure to RSVP if you're interested in joining us. And so now I to introduce Jennifer Hell. And thank you for joining us all the way from Los Angeles. So um, thank you for having me. She's a graduate of the RTF program, and she's currently the senior VP of comedy at Paramount TV, based in Los Angeles, and uh, Paramount Studios, TV studios, which she's going to explain the difference between network, studio, the Paramount Pictures, and go through that whole process. So, should I start there? <laughs> well, um, I guess before we get, we'll want to back up. Um, and start at the beginning a little bit. <laughs> um, how you got from there to here, <laughs> from uh, RTF all the way. You have a really interesting story, uh, how you got to where you are today. So I think it would be great for you to sure. dig in. Well, it's true I went to the school and um, graduated a few years back. Um, I moved to, I, well, I'll, I'll start when I moved to Los Angeles. I left three weeks, I think, after I graduated and moved to L.A. Didn't know anyone and for some reason wasn't very scared. But looking back, it's, it seems kind of scary. Um, went to the RTF program here, which I loved, and classes from Richard Lewis back there, who I loved, and Charles Ramirez-Berg, and I'm sure we have some crossover with teachers um, that I took when I was here. But I love this program, and... Um, one thing I started doing when I was in college here, and I don't know what the opportunities are for you guys, but I imagine they're more plentiful than when I was here, is I started interning as much as I could on productions, um, working on films. Every film that came into town, I would do whatever job for free um, just to be on a set. Worked on the you know, student films, worked on big, like, $60 million um Courage Under Fire, worked on like little horror movies, whatever I could get my hands on, loved being on set, which I think really set me up in a good way for moving to LA because I already had a resume and I had production experience. Um, 
and I know you guys are probably encouraged to do internships and they run the gamut between working in a studio or a network or a production company or being on set, whatever the case may be. Mine was more of a production route and I, I didn't intentionally set out to do it that way, but I think looking back, you know, on, on what you tend to do when you do things like this, I think it was a good way to get um, a sense of how things come together, you know, seeing what directors do, what producers do, what the camera department does, learning what the grips do, all the different facets that come together for, you know, to make a film. Um, I always thought, or at that point, I thought I would direct movies or produce movies or run a movie studio. The, those were sort of my lofty goals. Um, and I, I didn't even, I didn't fully understand what a, you know, what it meant to run a movie studio at the time. It just, I, I knew I liked um, being in charge. <laughs> and uh, and I liked that, like, watching those people on set was really interesting to me, but as well as, you know, getting to know the transportation department and what they did. Anyway, I was just sort of a sponge, and I loved really every second of it. Um, I moved to L.A. three weeks after I graduated, found an apartment, um, and I was working a few weeks after that. Um, one of the movies I worked on in Texas, Children of the Corn Part 4, which I'm sure all of you guys have seen. Um, actually, Naomi Watts starred in it, funny enough. But um, Children of the Corn 4, I was a PA working for free on that set. And the director of that movie was, I found out through the reporter or Variety or something, was doing a new movie with Christopher Walken, who was, I was obsessed with, and um, called The Prophecy 2, my second sequel. Um, and I just cold called him. I think I found a crew sheet from Children of the Corn. He didn't, maybe he knew me, maybe he didn't. I didn't really give a shit. I just called him or emailed him or something. And we went to dinner, and he needed an assistant on his movie, a director's assistant, and I got the job. And, um, you know, I I fought for it at that dinner, but I but I but I got it, and that was my first job in L.A., and it was incredible. I got to, I mean, again, looking back, it sounds really hard, but it, but I loved every second of it. I picked him up. I lived in Los Feliz, which is on the east side of town, in L.A. He lived in Santa Monica, right by the beach. I picked him up every morning at six, went to the production offices. We did all the script rewrites together. I auditioned all the actors for him. I you know I was an acting major for a minute here. Um, but whatever, like point being, I was involved in every aspect of it and I learned a ton. Um, I got to drive Christopher walking around, which was awesome. Um, and that was my first, my first thing and, and sort of led that experience and the one that I actually had in Austin. That was my second Miramax movie. The head of West Coast Miramax recommended me to Matt Stone and Trey Parker when they were doing a movie before um, South Park called Orgasmo. And um, because I'd worked on this like little horror movie in Austin and then this sequel that sort of, you know, was Christopher Walken, but it was sort of like a low budget kind of thing that led to an introduction to two guys who I spent 12 years with and still see all the time. Um, so you never know, like, you never know where those those what those jobs will lead to, and doing a good job, even working for free, what you know, who can notice that kind of stuff? For all those jobs, PA jobs or just assistant runners, yeah. just kind of anything, you just take whatever. Well, I think if you, for. I 
Yeah, and I think you, and again, you don't, you don't really realize it at the time, or I didn't. I didn't think, like, if I do really well and run around, people will notice me and I'll get a big job. It, I just loved being on set, and, um, and I think that kind of passion was noticed, and the willingness to sort of do anything for anybody. It didn't, you know, not being above any kind of job. Um, when you look back, it's like, oh, that, that was sort of the way to be. You know, yeah. when you were with uh, on the Orgasmo, what was your role? I was the director's assistant, and um, so I started on that. And I actually turned the job down a couple times when it was offered to me, because so I was like, it, it seemed like it was a movie about porn, and it kind of was. And <laughs> I didn't know who these guys were, and Trey was really sweet, but it was a million dollar movie, and I'd just come off these big movies working when I was in school here, and. Um, and I was up for the Kevin Costner movie, uh, The Postman, to be the key set PA on that. And it was one of those moments where you sort of like, you know, decision-making moments where I thought, I'll be a big fish in a small pond in this little movie, and I'll get to do everything. I'll get to be involved in everything. Sometimes the big-budget movies, you, um, because of unions and that sort of thing, like you can only do really specific things. You can't sort of be a busybody getting into everyone's business, which I always loved. So I took Orgasmo and realized really quickly that Matt and Trey were you know, geniuses. And um, the pilot for South Park got picked up a week into shooting that movie. And they asked me if I'd want to come work on it with them. It was six episodes. And I was like, I'll do TV for six episodes. Um, <laughs> and then I'll get right back to movies. And it turned out I love TV. and. Um, and I worked with them for 12 years on the show and their movies and another show we did called That's My Bush for Comedy Something. <laughs> I love that show, actually. It's about President Bush, not, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what was your role with South Park? Um, well, I started out as Matt and Trey and the, the, this guy, Brian Graydon, who, who left to go run MTV actually before we started airing South Park. Um, I worked as their assistant. And then um, they made me a producer on the show. So, and then I also do did voices. Sort of, um, I play. I still play Bebe, the little blonde girl who's Monty's <laughs> best friend. Um, can you do it for us? Uh, <laughs> I can do Cartman probably better than Bebe. Bebe, they have to speed up my voice a little bit. But, um, but I started doing that in like random women when they needed oh, wow. when they needed a woman to like a townswoman to scream. I would do that, you know, like, like you just sort of filled in. It was very, um, that show, and it's it's a little bit less so now, but it was such a small amount of us, and we were all, you know, young and dumb, and just would get in the record booth and do what was necessary to get the show done. It was fun, though. It was great. And so, from South Park, what is So, South Park, so, and I'll back up after I finish this. I'll back up and sort of talk about my trajectory and how it's different from sort of the more normal trajectory in, in, in television, but I don't think it's a bad thing or, or, you know, I think there's lots of different ways to go. But I was a producer on the show for 12 years and worked on the movies, and Fox was starting an animation department, 20th Century Fox Television, um, which is a you know, big television studio, and they were starting an animation department, which no studio has ever had, and they came to me and asked if I would be interested in running it. Um, and so I left. 
again, not a usual thing. Most people who work at a studio or a network, you know, they start as an assistant and they rise through the ranks and um, over many years and leaving and going to different studios and networks and whatever, become a department head. And I sort of, I mean, I worked a long time in production, but I sort of went up this way and then went over this way into the studio world. So that was 2008, and I ran that department for five years, um, overseeing, developed Bob's Burgers, and oversaw Family Guy and American Dad and Cleveland Show, Simpsons, and uh, some shows that didn't work that were very good, like Napoleon Dynamite and Alan Gregory and stuff like that. Was that a job that you sought out, or you know, you're at lunch and they bring it up, or is that something that you knew you wanted to get into, or just I had no idea. Random. Um, what I did was I, I for the last two years I worked with Mantra. I ran their feature company, and we developed movies. We were starting Book of Mormon, developing that musical, and um, they decided they didn't want to make other people's movies. And I'm like, well, I run your movie company, so what does that mean for me? Um, and at that point, with their blessing, I went out and started taking just general meetings. You know, being in one place for that long, you sort of don't even know if you have any street value. So I went out and started meeting with um, different people and just on general meetings. And I met with Kevin Riley, who at the time ran Fox, and he said, you should be here running a department, and I'm going to keep in touch. And he, and he did. He called me a month later and said, we're starting this department. Would you want to meet about it? So it just sort of, yeah, just sort of. I mean, I, I don't want to say it just sort of happened because there's a lot of hard work that, but it wasn't something I sought out, and I, and I loved doing it so much. It was. It sort of took, you know, working on one show for so many years was amazing, but then being able to move onto the corporate side of things and be, you know, have my own budget and my own department and hire my own team and sort of oversee a bunch of shows. Um, hard, definitely a lot of hard work, but I love learning the that whole side of things and how, how the business affairs department works and legal and like all of those things. Because working with Matt and Trey, like we never really had to have notes or we didn't deal with that corporate stuff. We were very in a bubble. So it was interesting learning the other side. I think the interesting thing about the class with everybody that comes in, um, everybody seems to have a different path yeah. for their career, and it, some people go the route that you talk about, you know, the more traditional or assistant to this, to this. Right. And I think that's exciting and terrifying thing about the industry. Right. There really isn't, you know, an A exact career. science to... Well, and I think as soon as someone says, like, there's only one way to do it, don't... That's maybe not the person to listen to, because it's just... I, I find... I find the more experience you have in different realms, whether it's production or TV or film or screenwriting and acting and directing, all of those things make for just a more interesting human, A, and B, um, a more interesting whatever you end up by being, whether it's an executive or a director or producer, having all those different influences I think can, is so additive. Um, I, I'm friends with people who come up you know, on the studio and network side, you've come up from an assistant or even from an intern at the same place and have risen through the ranks and they're incredibly happy and smart and gifted and all those things, but um, but they don't know what it's like to be on a set and to be in a writer's room or to be um, an actor or director necessarily, even in the smallest way, you know, so. I don't know. That, 
trying different things and having different roles help you figure out what it is you love and what you're best at? So I think so. Yeah, I think, and it helps you realize what you're not good at too. You know. Um, which I think can, when you're, at least when I was in college, every t class I took, I wanted to change my major because I loved it so much. And so I changed my major a bunch. I was a psychology major and then I was an acting major and, uh, and then a film major. And anyway, point being, it's, it's fun to learn and it's fun to be exposed to new things. And the school was, the teachers were so great. Like I, I kept not knowing what the fuck I was going to do. But, um, but then I started being able to cross things off the list and, and kind of honing in on what I felt like I was good at, which I still probably am doing. But um, yeah. and when you went from Fox, did you go to Paramount the next? That was my next jump. jump. Yeah. So, you know, having been in animation for a long time, I, I didn't grow up like loving animation. I wasn't even really a fan of animation. But I, when I met Matt and Trey, I loved them so much and their storytelling so much. I, we had very much the same sense of humor and liked working on the same sort of things. Um, I, w I ended up by being in animation for a very long time, and I, and I love it. It's an amazing way to tell stories and be subversive and, and um, have multiple layers of jokes and all these different things. But I, I really wanted to be in live action. So I left 20th without a job, which was scary, but um, my contract was up, and I left and really focused on trying to find something where I could develop live action comedies and dramas, and I found that at Paramount. So I've been there now for two years. Was it brand new when brand you new. started? Yeah. So was, was were you in a similar position starting the animation? Yeah. <laughs> I know. I, after I got that job, I, I reflected for a moment, and I thought, there must be something in me that likes starting from nothing, because South Park was, there were four of us when we started the show. Um, not knowing how to computer animate, not which I still don't, but not knowing how to animate, not knowing how to do, that was a completely invented way of producing an animated show. No other show is done like that uh, still. Um, and then starting at Fox and starting that department and then now starting at Paramount, we started um, the television studio, which was very successful for decades at Paramount, was sold off in 2006 and um, sold to CBS during a big like merger split thing. And, um, and so there was no television studio from 2006 until 2013. Brad Gray hired my boss, Amy Powell, Powell and Howell, we fry crime, um, and hired her. And I was the first creative hire under her hire. Um, so we started the studio was her, the head of business affairs, and myself. In 2013, in October of 2013, actually. Maybe you could um, walk us through, you know, what it, the difference between. Uh, I, I think Paramount's a great example because there's Paramount Pictures and uh, what's the TV studio? The past and it's know, all very confusing. There's I, a chart. You have a chart. Which I do is have a chart. Great to see the difference between a um, producer, a studio, and a network. Yeah, so, I mean, and it, hopefully I can shed light on it, but it is confusing. And I, until I started working at a studio, I didn't really even know the rules. I didn't know what a network was versus a studio. But, and I worked at 20th Century Fox Television, which produces shows and can sell shows to any network, so, or any broadcast network, so ABC, CBS, um, NBC, Fox. Fox is their sister network. 
So the idea when you have a sister network like ABC Studios and ABC, NBC Studios, NBC, CBS Studios, CBS, um, is you know you're 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 providing programs for that sister network, but you can also sell elsewhere. Twentieth, where I worked, was really the only studio at that point for broadcast a broadcast studio that was making a lot of money outside of Fox or outside of their sister network rather. So they had Modern Family on ABC. Um, and you know the Simpsons on Fox, but Dana and Gary, who run that studio, Dana Walden and, and Gary Newman, at the time just ran the studio, um, really wanted to sort of spread, the, you know, the programming out over multiple networks. So um, a place like CBS, still to this day, and ABC, um, ABC sells outside of the ABC network, but they provide like probably 90% of ABC Network's uh, programming. They can sell anywhere, but they really like to keep the money in-house, if you will. Does that, does that sort of make sense? Like you, you have your studios develop shows. They sort of roll up their sleeves and work more uh, closely with the writers. Um, everything that a studio does, the studio sort of insulates and protects before it's presented to the network. So. Um, if you're a writer and you bring a pitch to me and I'm at a studio, I hear the pitch. If I like the pitch, I do a deal for the pitch. We then take it to the networks and sell it, hopefully. Hopefully you sell it. Um, and so I, I actually, this is the second studio now that I've worked at, and it's akin to South Park in the sense that I work at a studio. I, I like it because you get to work more closely with writers and you, you see the cast before the network sees it, you know, and, and hone it to, to the, your top choices. And you see the scripts before the network sees them and do your notes bef before they're given to the network. Um, that's all stuff I didn't know when I started working at a studio, and it, it made me ask really quickly. So you have a, sometimes we have a producer, a production company, that say the Tenenbaum company. Yeah. They do a lot of comedy, so mm -hmm. the Tenenbaum company will... They'll have a writer that they have a general with, they like the idea, and that producer will bring it to you. And right. then you guys sometimes buy the property first and then take it to a network? Yeah. So before we can pitch a show to a network, we have to do a deal for it. You can't take it without a deal to a network. So if the Tannenbaums come to me with a writer who has an idea and I love it, I'm like, great, let's do a deal for it. We do a deal to attach the Tannenbaums as the producer. We... Um, do a deal for the writer and and work on a pitch together, and then we take the pitch out as a unit and pitch all the networks. Um, at 20th, where I worked, um, was only we could only sell to broadcast networks, so just the four majors. At Paramount, where I work now, we're an independent studio. We can sell to cable and broadcast, which is awesome. So I can take one pitch to NBC, CBS, Showtime, Amazon, and Hulu, and the same thing. Um, which is which is great. Will you co does Paramount Studios co finance a show? If you like, bring it to NBC with studios? If um, you brought it to NBC the network, uh huh, would you do a co finance with the studio NBC studio? It just it depends. There's there's versions where you would deficit money. Um, so if, if I sell a show to NBC and they want to pay a million dollars per episode but it's gonna cost a million five, we'll deficit that five hundred thousand with the hopes that the show will go on long enough for us to make our money back. And then there's some versions where you you sell it to a network and they're going to pay 100% of the cost of the show, 
but in exchange for that, they get international rights, or they get some something in exchange to make it worth them paying 100%. The the upfront, you know, the upfront risk for us is obviously less if we're not paying for it. But should the show be a huge success, we don't get as much in, on the flip, on the back end side of it. Um, Maybe you could walk us through your sure. chart a little bit. So. Yeah, I mean, it gets a little redundant as you go down, but the point in me putting this together was really just to show, and it sort of works the same way at a network. Um, the, like at 20th, for example, the chairman at 20th Century Fox were Dana Walden and Gary Newman, and then they have a, a president. Um, at the time I was there, it was Jen Salke, who now runs NBC Network. Um, and then there's department heads, uh, head production, head of, that one got cut off, but you know, business affairs, casting, drama, comedy, um, whatever I missed. Uh, department heads, and then under each department head are the you know. So if you have an SVP, it's a VP, and then a director or exec director, director, manager, coordinator, assistant, and so that's sort of how they're structured. Um, so if you, for example, if you get an internship at a studio or a network. Um, that can be, if, if you're interested in being an executive of some sort, it can be a great way in because interns sometimes get, once they graduate, can get that assistant job. And then you can sort of be on that track. Not that you have to stay on it forever. You could jump off at any point. Um, but it is a good way to learn, like, what that is and if you even like it, you know. Um, just like some people start in a mailroom at an agency, to become an assistant at an agency, and some people love agencies and some people hate them, but it's good to have on your resume if you kind of want to be, a, a lot of studio and networks when they're looking for assistants look for people who have agency experience, so that's another route. Maybe you could talk about, you know, studio, your role, I mean, do you deal, I know there's like current yeah. development people, and so in comedy, like what that is, what, yeah. The difference between current. Yeah, I didn't put current on development. Here. It's very disrespectful. What you, what you do in um, your role. <laughs> I mean, current <laughs> development is like you, you, you give birth to the baby. Sorry, I'm a mom. That's probably not cool for some of you to talk about birth, but, um, but you have this little baby and you, and you want to keep it alive. And the current department like sees the baby from, you know, walking through hopefully a. <clears throat> So in development, you're, you're constantly buying pitches and developing shows and hopefully selling them and setting them up at networks. Once they get on the air as a series, after, it depends on the, on the show, um, but after, say, you know, three to five episodes, you sort of pass the baton over to current and you try to do it as seamlessly as possible. And it can be hard on showrunners, you know, like all of a sudden they have this whole new group of people to deal with. But... Um, but the current department is incredibly important because without your show, if your shows don't stay on the air, you're constantly losing money. I mean, you, as a studio, you need a show to stay on the air for four, five, six seasons to really start seeing a return, unless it's a show like Modern Family, which sold to syndication, I think, in the like first or second season and was huge right off the bat. Um, so, and the current department, I mean, it's it's a it's a hard and a really important job. Could you give the current, we'll give notes to the writers? So every draft of every script, <laughs> they look at every cut and give notes, they look at every draft of the script and give notes. 
they keep the train moving and development moves on to the next cute thing. And so they're the like, we'll pass it on. They'll go through the, the whole process and then say, okay, you're ready to go to the network. And then they pass it on. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. In terms of looking at scripts and cuts, yeah, yeah. And sometimes you do it in tandem with the network just because of time and that sort of thing, but yeah. And so at your level, you're kind of both in a way? Well, at my studio now, we don't have a current department yet, which is why I forgot to put it on there. Um, we're actually looking for a head of current, although I feel like it's a little premature, but because um, but we don't have shows. Well, we have Minority Report on the air right now, but other than that, we don't have any shows. So once we have more shows, then you start passing stuff off to the current department. More current. More current. More current shows. Maybe you can walk us through, too, you know, your one of your projects from uh, birth conception, yeah. <laughs> uh, all the way to uh, walking. Yes. Um, yeah, you can help do uh, another slide. Um, so uh, this can apply to a lot of things. At Paramount, we have sort of a dual strategy. We have this amazing library of 103 years, I think, at this point, of, of titles. So we have shows like uh, Minority Report, which Fox actually it was a co-production between us and 20th, and 20th was the lead studio. So they sort of ran production on that show. Um, so we have shows, the, the title-based shows, like Fatal Attraction, uh, Shooter, um, First Wives Club, Soap Dish, like all these amazing movies that we have the television rights to that we have set up at various networks. Um, and then we also have original stuff. So people come in with a book that they have the rights to or a pitch and um, and we do a deal for that pitch, etc. So this, is, this applies to both of those things, but the one I was thinking about because I love it and I'm about to shoot it in Vancouver is, is Shooter, which we sold to USA. It's based on the 2007 Mark Wahlberg movie of the same name. Um, Wahlberg and his producing partner, Steve Levinson, are producing it. And, um, and so w w what we did in that case is I found a showrunner. So I met with lots of different drama writers, found someone who I really clicked with who was obsessed with all the books that the movie is based on, um, came in with a great pitch. And so we did a deal for him to be the showrunner of the show which can take a little bit of time, but you try to move business affairs along so you can get the deal done. And then you go out to all the networks. So we pitched um, Spike, TNT, NBC, um, blah, blah, blah. We pitched a bunch of places, um, set the show up. And then at that point, um, the, net the network wants to see an outline for the pilot. So as the studio, you work with the, the, the writer. They turn in an outline. You give notes on it. You get it in great shape and then you give it to the network, they sign off, and then a pilot script is written. Um, after the pilot script is written, you um, get approved, you know, give notes, give, get approvals, all that sort of thing, and then you can start casting it. Um, so we've been in the casting process now for a while. We Ryan Phillippe's starring as our lead, and Omar Epps is, is, is um, not a co-lead, but he's also in it. Uh, we're casting the wife right now, we have two over a week and a half to cast her still. We haven't found anyone yet. Um, it gets, starts getting scary. And um, then you shoot the pilot, and hopefully it's amazing, and you edit it and put the music in and all those things, and hopefully you get a series pickup. And then it's on the, sh the air for a very long time. Then you hire current 
then you hire current. <laughs> you hand it off to current after world domination. Um, yes. With having that library, is it dicey in a way because you have producers of those original stories or writers, or it is it kind of depends on the deal of that particular property? Yeah, it can be. I mean, I think we've been we've tried to be pretty smart and go to the original filmmakers. Um, so, for example, we developed The Truman Show. Andrew Nichol, who wrote the feature, wanted to make that into a television series for years. And so when the studio restarted in 2013, he came to us, the original producer, or one of them, Adam Schroeder, who worked for Scott Rudin at the time, um, had they had an idea for the series. A Soap Dish, which we're doing with Bobby Harling, who wrote the feature. Um, we're, we're working with a lot of the original people for the titles. The thing that becomes dicey with titles is you have to then live up to the movie. Yeah. And if the movie was crappy, then that's easier. <laughs> the movies like Truman Show, which is a perfect movie, um, <coughs> making a series, bless you, out of that is, is, you know, it's hard. Minority Report's another one. I mean, I think the press has not been kind and, you know, it, it the show... It has a lot to live up to, you know, and it's got like Steven Spielberg and, and DreamWorks TV and us and 20th and all these people and Fox and, you know, it's 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 tough to make. It's tough to make. It's the same with movies. It's 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 hard to make a really bad movie. It's hard to make a really good movie. It's all hard. Do you feel like with the properties, like Minority Report, is like an Oscar-nominated screenplay and film? And do you feel like the powers that be at Paramount at the top level put more pressure? No, I mean, they're they're really excited to to exploit, I don't mean that in a negative way, but exploit the the, the library. I, I, as a movie fan, like, get protective and, like, really, if we're going to go out on that limb and go try to make a great series, I, I really put the pressure on it. We're doing Galaxy Quest, like... How are we gonna fucking do Galaxy Quest? <laughs> it's a perfect movie, but um, we're working with the original director and writer and producer, and um, I think the script is gonna be really good. I think we're gonna get a lot of the original cast, as well as a whole new cast. Um, but that movie's perfect, so yeah. it's scary. <laughs> it's scary to to endeavor. Um, yeah. In the last ten years, the it just seems like there's this explosion of new platforms between streaming and networks. Do you feel like that's making your job easier in a way because there's more buyers or more complicated? Or do you, I mean, when you go out with a project, do you have to pinpoint, so if you're going with Soap Dish, you know there's only four places, or do you go out to the whole town? Or how it really depends on the, It really depends on the project. And to answer the first part of the question, I think... A year ago, it felt like, oh my God, there's so many buyers. This is amazing. We can sell everything. And and now I think there's so much programming because there's so many buyers. Um, I was saying earlier, it's like you almost feel like TV is becoming homework because there's so much to try to watch and catch up on and and be a part of um, and wanting to be a fan of it, but you can't even you know watch it all. Um, so I, I feel like that could start to become a negative, that there's too many places. Um, what was the second part of your question? Do you, so do you pinpoint... Where oh, where I sell. Yeah, I mean, I think 
for something like Minority Report, it felt like a big broadcast show. So we just took it to the four big broadcast networks. Um, and I think a couple streaming networks. But for something like Jack Ryan, which we just went out with, we took that everywhere. Um, it's a big, broad drama. You could see it on NBC as easy as you could see it on Netflix or Amazon. Amazon ended up by give, giving us the best offer. It was a competitive thing, and they went straight to series and wanted to spend a lot of money, and they're great to work with. We have a few shows with them. Um, so it just sort of depends. You sort of, you as a studio, you want to kind of look at the project and figure out what is going to give it its best chance of survival. You know, where the, the, the best home that's actually going to get, how it's actually going to get on the air. You, I, I know in, when I teach writing, so I'm always thinking the writing point of view, but I think it's important on all levels in the industry, and I know a lot of our guests from different areas to talk to the audiences. And I feel like there's not enough uh, talk about audience since we actually are creating something for an audience. And so when you go into a project, how do you think about audience? I mean, you probably think about it from a development standpoint, but then if you're going to the network, is that a big, or your demographic, or or the projects that you love, but feel like there's no audience for it. Sure, I mean, there's a, there's been a few things this season that I've heard that I thought I I love this, but I don't I have no idea where it would sell. Um, there, I think those are fewer and further between because there are so many places to sell. But um, I think it was easier to pinpoint a few years ago because a there were less places, but b networks had an identity. They don't really have that anymore. Um, you don't tune into Fox to watch a Fox show. You're going to watch Screen Queens no matter where it is, or you're going to watch Empire no, where, no matter where it is, um, I think. Uh, you know, So it's a little harder to pinpoint, I feel like, and I think it's harder right the second to sell because broadcast networks are scared and advertisers are... It's, it's hard to get advertising money. It's hard to get revenue. They want to reach as broad an audience as they can, so... From a writer's perspective, it's less interesting to be on one of those. It's less interest, more, Most of the big writers I work with, none of them want to be on broadcast television <laughs> because they get overnoted. Everything gets watered down. I'm speaking on their behalf, but you know, from from what they tell me, they'd rather work at a place like Amazon or Hulu or, you know, name a cable or streaming place because they they can have their vision. They feel like. Um, more translated, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, as opposed to sort of trying to be a Fox show or an ABC show and, and try to reach such a huge audience. It feels like every season for the last couple of years, the um, networks are, networks are um, smaller places, like USA, for example, with Mr. Robot. They they're trying to change their brand mm -hmm. from two years ago. So yeah. how does that work for you? When you're developing a project, and then all of a sudden, TNT decides they want to be AMC. Um, we actually had Shooter at TNT before Michael Wright left. He was the head of TNT then. He bought the show in the room. It was super exciting. The pitch was amazing. And then he was fired or left. I don't know which. And Kevin Riley came in and said he wanted to make TNT into FX or HBO and passed on all the prior development. Um, and we sold the show like two days later to USA, which is great, but it can it can really 
I mean, writers, I think, the, get the most frustrated. Because they can have someone really champion their work, and then all of a sudden the network is changing their identity, and that doesn't work for them. USA was dying for comedies like two years ago, and then all of a sudden they're like, comedies don't work on our air, and they got rid of all the comedies. And the writers are like, but I could have sold my show somewhere else. You said you wanted comedy. So it can, it can be tough, definitely. Um, switching gears a little bit to the students and you know, advice for them. Um, if you knew then, but you know now, what, what are some of the key, key pieces of advice that you would like to pass along? It's your opportunity. Uh, if I had a time machine? Hmm. I don't, um, that's, a, that's a good question. I, I feel like I'm more scared now than I was when I was in college. Like I didn't know any of the rules, so I didn't know what not to do, which I think can be incredibly helpful, you know? Um, not knowing that you're supposed to, like, you're probably not supposed to call the director, you, like an intern on the, but I didn't know, so I just <laughs> called him, and I got it, you know what I mean? Um, I'm trying to think what I would have done differently. Um, it out for you. Yeah, so. I'm sure there's a million things. I can't, I can't think of, I would have. Well, we were talking. Partied less. Studied more. Studied way more. I don't know. Well, we talked earlier before the class about, you know, the fact that we're a little older. We didn't have the internets to look at and read. And um, this sounds so old and lame. But I know, I remember asking for, for my birthday a subscription to Variety, you know, at a very young age. Yeah. <laughs> thinking, this is the key. What I, I, yeah. I mean, what there's so much out there for students to read or to do research on to learn about the industries or key names. But are there publications that you look at or that people in the industry actually do read? I mean, Deadline Hollywood is on everyone's always up on everyone's computer. I feel like it sort of tells you everything. I love the new Hollywood Reporter format. It's awesome. The Weekly. It's like Us Magazine meets I don't know what. It's just great. Like it, 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 it's not as on the you know it used to be daily and it used to be very industry heavy. Now it's sort of more glossy. Like look at these fabulous homes in Palm Springs or whatever. But it's still fun. Um, but I think, I mean, I think when you love something, you want to know everything about it. At least that's the way it was for me. Like I, I read every single page of the Reporter and Variety when I was in school here and was encouraged by. Mr. Lewis back there to, to to do that as well as a lot of other things. I mean, when I moved to LA, there was, again sounds like I'm a grandma, but um, you had to like go to a place to read the trades or go to a place to get on a computer to find out what jobs there were. So I, I think you guys have it easier in a lot of ways, but maybe because of that, it's it, it's harder because you don't think it like it's not as it's not as hard so maybe you don't do it as much I don't know but I'm sure you guys are all brilliant here looking at everything um, I mean the, the names of studios and networks and the people who work in them change a lot but I think knowing who those people are knowing the, the if you're interested you know looking at the agencies um, who runs them what clients they have like looking at all that kind of stuff online I think is kind of fascinating and figuring out like what TV, if you're interested in television or film, whichever the case may be, looking at how those are structured, like you can look at all of that online and see it, um, and it's just interesting. That's all stuff I would be looking at, I think. 
and then trying to find your place and what you love and taking every job and working as hard as you can because people notice when you work really hard and you have a great attitude that's we have interns all the time at at paramount and the ones who want to jump up and help at any given moment are the ones that you remember and the ones that you want to hire and help as boring as that probably sounds um it's true no (laughs) um also for those students in here a lot of them want to be writers nice staring at them and any advice for those aspiring TV writers, you know, to think about developing ideas? And what what do you do as a development executive? I mean, do you read a lot of articles? Do you search for articles? I know you have your library, but I mean, we're lucky we have a lot of things incoming. But the advice I always give to writers is, you just and I'm sure you guys hear it all day long, but you just have to keep writing, write, write, rewrite, give to your friends, you know, get notes, be good at. Get, receiving notes. You don't have to take every note that's given to you. Some of them might suck, but um, but be good at receiving them and hearing them and trying to understand maybe if the person can't really eloquently state what it is uh, that's bumping them, maybe there's a way for you to interpret it and figure out what it is they're, they're bumping up against. Um, uh, I also think it's really important having staffed many shows with writers. Um, to have a spec script and uh, an original script. Um, a lot of showrunners just want to read original material, but then you'll all of a sudden there's like with Napoleon Dynamite, Mike Scully, who's a genius guy from The Simpsons, said, "I only want to read specs. I only want to read know that writers can capture the voice of the showrunner." So I think it's important to have to have both of those. Um, I'm really glad you said that. Oh, really? Teaching really? a spec writing class? Yeah. yeah. We, a lot of times, showrunners say, we don't really read originals, but I'm glad to hear. Well, and there's fun ways to, to attack those, too. Like, you you know, and you guys may know the stories, but there's, you know, the things like um, the Friends episode that, where everyone got AIDS. And, like, that's a really funny, fun spec to read <laughs> as a person who, who has to read a lot of, like, you know, it's always sunny specs or whatever then you read the friends who all got AIDS and you're like oh that and it was perfect tone of friends except they all got AIDS it was really funny <laughs> so there's also like I don't know if I should encourage you have, to be, that, you have to be really good at that though you have to be really good to be able to pull that off but there's also like you can write like the standard you know broad city spec but then also write the broad city where they get AIDS <laughs> that's a good idea <laughs> Or whatever the disease is these days. <laughs> the disease of the month. The disease of the month. That's, uh, that's good. <laughs> that's really good to hear. <laughs> what about, I, I don't think there's enough. Oh, and the other thing that's really important for a writer, sorry, is uh, knowing how to pitch. If I'm, even the best writers, I, I'm surprised sometimes meeting high le- with a high-level writer who still can't pitch their idea. And um, or gets into a room with a network and can't sort of explain their idea. And it's really hard to, to know how to pitch well, but it's something to practice and to get good at. Because you can have the best script in the world, the best idea in the world. If you can't pitch it, you're not probably, it, it's going to be much harder to sell it, I'll say. <laughs> That's really good. Do you ever, when, say you run into a writer in the elevator, and do you want them to? Tell you a log line, sure. And the log line is legit. Yeah, legit for sure. 
I mean, it can. You had one earlier that was really good, uh, and then you, and then what was it? Uh, uh, no, I can't remember because you talked about a few. But point being, like, you had a sentence, and it was like, uh, and I said to you, "Oh, that's a great idea for a show." And then you started explaining it more, and then you said, "I'm not good at pitching this," but the log line you had was great. Um, I think that having. And it's hard. It's hard to like put a good a good idea into a sentence, but you have to be able to do that too. Yeah, because all of a sudden it's like, oh, I want to know what that is. You know, thank you for validating some of the things that we discussed. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know. Um, I was going to ask you too about the art. You guys teach pitching here, like how to pitch. We, we try. We do. Pitching is a very important part of the class because they at um, the Austin Film Festival we have exact same come in or producers and make arrangements for the you have like grad a students to think. And you have the elevator pitch in that too, right? Is that the same? The writing? Yeah, I mean at the AFF they have their own pitch um, contest, but we try to set up um, a time for our own pitch. <coughs> uh-huh. And then um, we do pitches with the undergrads as well. And it's like right it's such lines. an important thing. And we, we have them write a treatment, a log line treatment outline before they go to script helpful. That's great. I was going to ask you too um, about the art of the general meeting. Mm-hmm. And I, but the general, when you guys go to LA and you have a writer's perspective, well, just from any, any perspective, if you're going in for a general meeting about an internship or if you have an opportunity to sit down, you know, with, with a student, you know, there's the art of the general. Maybe you could give some advice. I don't, I don't think there's enough talk about if you have a say a student comes in and they're in the retailing program they want to do an internship with right. you and you know a lot of times they say general which is right. sort of an interview I've had a lot of those I mean I think that I can probably speak to what not to do more than what to do I think in just thinking about it for one two seconds now but um, I've met with students who just sort of talked you know like sort of low energy and sort of like, I don't know what I want to do and that sort of thing, which I can understand maybe you don't know what you want to do, but I think taking taking any time away from impressing someone or impressing is maybe the wrong word, but like showcasing yourself is, is a missed opportunity. So I think um, like save that for like drinks with your friends, but, but for like meeting, you know, an exec at a studio or an agent or whatever, whoever you're in front of, I think it's... Um, you know, good energy, a will, a willingness to do whatever. Like, don't meet with a drama head and say, "I only want to do comedy," which I've always also had happen. Um, or I, I, I don't really like TV, but that's where the jobs are. Like, <laughs> it's like, okay, well, fuck off. <laughs> um, uh, um, I think whoever you're in front of be, and it doesn't have to be disingenuous. Hopefully you're meeting with this person because you either want a job or you want to learn more about what they do. People love talking about themselves, as I guess I'm proving right now. But um, uh, learning more, more about the person you're in front of and how they got to where they are and how you can, you know, trying just to sell yourself in front of that person um, and sort of catering it to... If you, if you think you want to be at an agency and you're sitting with an agent, talk about, I love it, it, like I love the, what you do. It's so incredibly interesting. You know, you sort of have to, because you'd be surprised how many people sit 
in front of others and talk about how they don't want to do what that person does. And it's like, well, then I can't really help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Does that make sense? <clears throat> makes a lot of sense. And I think it's great, too, how you, when you started out, when you are a student here, how you were willing to take a job on any, you know, any production. Yeah. I think that's a really important lesson. No job's too little. And it goes on the resume, and that's good. You know, and it doesn't matter. So if you have intern on Children of the Corps 11, yes, I hope that's, I hope that's happening. Um, it is, and you, you know, a lot of the productions, and I don't know how it is here exactly right now, but then there were a lot of productions in town from LA and from New York. So you could be an intern on a shitty little movie, but you, Harvey Wine, like, uh, Bob Weinstein came to visit that shitty little movie. Like, you just don't know who's going to, you don't know who you're going to cross paths with. Paths with. Um, and hopefully you'll learn and be excited and love it anyway, but um, you never know who you're going to meet, you know? Well, before we open it up to the students for questions, we were all dying to know, what are you watching? What do you love watching? Oh, my God. Um... I love Catastrophe. I just watched that. Uh, what else? Veep, I'm obsessed with. It's amazing. It's a, a perfect comedy. Um, uh, what do I love? I just watched Scream Queens, the first three episodes. I, I'm sorry, but I love it. Um, <laughs> it's totally dumb and super fun. Um, it might be a girl thing. I don't know. Um, I just started watching Narcos. I'm like six or seven episodes into that. It's great. Um, there's a lot of boobs. Duly <laughs> noted. Um, I'm always bad at answering this. Oh, I just watched all five seasons of Damages, which if you only have time to watch a season of a show, watch the first season of that show. It's perfection. Um, what else? I don't know. I, I I always forget, and then I'll leave, and I'll be like, shit, I didn't talk about um, The pilot for The Grinder was good. If you're interested in working in TV, try to watch every pilot. Try to get a hold of the scripts. They're not that hard to get, um, but at least watch the pilots so you can sort of speak to them and, and get, in the, get in the habit of knowing how to talk about what you like and don't like and why, because... It's not, it's, you know, if you are, again, sitting in front of an exec or, or agent or whomever and they ask that question, it's nice to be able to explain, like, why you love something or don't don't like something. Um, and that can just, that just happens by practice and talking about stuff, which I'm sure all you guys do. Um, if you guys haven't watched Vikings, it's amazing. No one watches it, but it's really good. Isn't it good? It's awesome. It's like Game of Thrones, but... Like, shit happens. It's really good. <laughs> um, and there's tons of boobs. Um, <laughs> and butts. Um, TNA. <laughs> actually, actually, I don't think there's boobs in Vikings. In the U.S. version, the foreign versions have tons of, tons of boobs. <laughs> Well, if anyone leaves this with anything, <laughs> leave with that. <laughs> All right, well, how about you guys? Any questions about anything? Yeah, TNA. <laughs> TNA? Whoa. <laughs> Inappropriate. Um, I absolutely love South Park, so great job on that. Um, 
was the production schedule actually as crazy as they make it look? Like, did y'all work 120 hour weeks before yeah. airing the episodes? Yeah. We would go away on a writer's retreat um, with the idea of coming back with a season's worth of stories and usually not. Usually come back with like three or four, and sometimes two of those would get thrown out. So we would start, you know, the show airs on Wednesday night, Thursday morning writer's room you start trying to figure out what you're going to do for that next week's episode and sometimes it wouldn't be figured out till saturday or sunday and sometimes entire a or b plots would be thrown out and it was it was crazy it was in, it was intense but i was very young and staying up all night wasn't that hard um i wouldn't be able to do it anymore with kids it's too that would be too hard i think but um they've gotten into a better rhythm i think now at this many years in and um, and they don't do as many right. episodes a year. So, but yeah, it was, it was nuts. It was, was crazy. it ever like nerve wracking to, to like maybe not have an episode for comedy? Yeah. Social? Like whatever on your, on your ass about. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Trey would, Trey's thing is like the writer's room is about as wide as this. And, that's what they want. and Trey would just walk. Like I always thought he was going to, bore a hole through the floor because he would just walk endlessly for hours around the table and we'd all sit there and um and then we'd pitch something and like that would either work or not but yeah it was it was um I mean it was it was awesome it was an uh, an, an awesome place to be and I learned so much being in that writer's room for so many years and how to construct stories and how, how important story and structure is. Um, I think from afar that show can look sort of just like dirty and, you know, like fart jokes or whatever. But the amount of time spent on structure and um, payoffs and crafting of jokes um, is incredibly important. And if you're a fan of the show, you probably you know, you can tell. But, um, yeah, it was it was long, long hours and driving home at you know, after the sun comes up and you're just like, fuck, and now I'm <laughs> like going home and showering and okay, now I got to go back. Like it was, it was a lot, Yeah, well, but great. I mean, I learned awesome. so much. <laughs> great yeah. job. Thank you. Have you found any unique challenges in turning a film into a TV series versus like a book into a TV series or something Definitely. like that? Definitely. And especially working with a lot of the, we're working with a lot of the original writers who are, some of them are just feature writers. And it's, it's a different, it's, it's very different writing for television. Um, usually those pilots come in and it's like the whole series mashed into a pilot and you have to sort of, you know, ex not explain because they're gifted writers and very smart people, but, you know, the arc of a season as opposed to trying to get everything into a pilot. Um, so, yeah, I mean, a book usually gives you the opportunity to, you know, you can use it more of a blueprint, for, more as a blueprint for the first or first season or first couple seasons. Um, we're developing The Alienist, the Caleb Carr novel, um, into a series, and that, that novel will be the whole first season. Same with Shooter. The, the book that Shooter, the movie is based on, um, it's called Point of Impact. That book is our first season, and we want to get the rights to a couple subsequent books for our second and third season. So, yeah, book a book is a, I mean, not, none of it's easy, but I think it is easier than than a film, especially working with feature writers who haven't always done TV. 
Um, when you said you like you worked on like the Children of the Corn, was it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> sorry, I've only seen like one of them, not all eight thousand. But um, how did you like find those opportunities, especially for like feature films? Was there like postings you could like find or something like that? There was um, there was an intern. There was a, an office here um, that I don't know if it. I guess maybe career services. I don't know. There was a little office with like a big book. And I was just always go in there and flip through it. Um, there's probably something much more high tech available, but um, there was a listing: Children of the Corn for uh, they wanted office interns, and I went in, sort of dressed like I am now, and the the UPM was sitting in there, and she's like, "No," and she wouldn't let me interview um, because I wasn't I wasn't dressed right. Like I, production people don't dress up. Like she saw me, and she was like, "You think you're fancy? You're not." No. And the the office manager who was in there saw saw me and, like, got my resume that I sort of had said, okay, well, sorry, I suck here. <laughs> and, um, and he called me, and he's like, come in. I want to meet with you. And, like, how weird is that? Anyway, so I went in and met with him, and um, I ended up by getting the office job, and she was super pissed about it. And I met the ADs in the office, and they, they were like, come to set. Like, she's, she's a bitch. Come to set. So I got to work on the set. I mean, I don't I, It sounds like I just, uh, it sounds, like, weird. But um, I don't know. So the, again, it's like, you don't know who you're going to run across. You, do, you just got to try for everything, and maybe somebody will kick you out of an interview. But somebody else will see you and think there's something there. And he did. And... My last name's Howell, and he started calling me Lovey on that movie. And, and on every movie I worked on in Texas, I was known as Lovey. And, um, and I, when I moved to L.A., I, I was like, maybe I should go by Lovey. I don't know. Like, that's how people know me in Texas. So, no, I didn't. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I was, just, I was always looking. And then Waiting for Guffman came here, and... Um, I ended up by getting a job on that as an extra. I, c I can't remember how I found that, but it might have been in Variety or Hollywood Reporter or something that they were coming to shoot, and I just started calling the production office. Like, I was that annoying person for the whoever. I wonder that chick didn't want to hire me. But, like, calling and saying, hey, when do you go in production? Do you guys need extras? Do you need PAs? Do you need whatever? And, um, and I got featured in the movie. Don't look for me because I look horrible. But... Um, but which just means I'm in the background. But um, but I got to hang out and watch Christopher Guest direct, like being an extra for two weeks on that shit on that movie. Um, pretty cool. When you like call like these production places and stuff, uh, what's like a good amount? And like if you call like once and they don't pick up, or like email them and they don't answer, or whatever. What's like a good time frame to like recall or re-email? I think if you're not reaching anyone, it's okay to keep calling. I think if you reach someone and they're like, no, we don't have anything, maybe call one more time. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> or send an email one more time. Um, and being a student here, like, people want to help students, and people respect this university and respect the RTF department. And, um, you know, writing a quick little letter that says, I'm a student in the film program, and I, you know, you who say you're writing to the the – um, the UPM. Look what other movies that they've worked on. You know, uh, I, I admire your work so much, and I would love to be a part of your your team on this movie. Like, if you have any openings, please keep me in mind. Like, that's all you have to say. 
And they'll either call you or they won't, but knowing sort of what they've done, whether you're writing to the director or, or a unit production manager, um, can be a, an, an easy way in. It's like a two-sentence email. And they're always looking. They, all, they just always are. Everybody needs people. Um, you just have to know the balance between, like, putting yourself out there but then not becoming a psycho stalker. No, you'd go to the, the production manager, like sort of the mid-tier the person. You know, it'll be an office manager, production manager, UPM. That kind of person is the one who usually staffs the movies, at least the crew level, and, uh, and, and TV as well, like in the office jobs. Um, and then if you get in early enough in an office job and you kick ass, they'll want to put you on set or they'll want to give you to the writer's room. That's another good thing to think about if you want to be a writer is – trying to get a writer's PA job, a writer's assistant job after you graduate. They're hard to get. But a writer's PA always moves up, if you're good, moves up to the writer's assistant. Writer's assistant, if you're good, gets a script on, usually in the first season, or by the second season, you'll get a script. I mean, uh, odds are very much in your favor you'll get a script on that show. And then when the staff writer slot comes open, if you're good, you'll move up. Would you contact the production manager? Yeah. As well? Yeah. Write a letter to the showrunner. What are they going to do? Like, if they, you don't hear back, who gives a shit? Like, write a letter to, you know, whoever is running that show. For Shooter, that showrunner's like, I need an assistant in Vancouver, and I need an assistant here. Like, can you help me find someone? And I was like, I don't know anybody. Because it's, like, at my level, I don't hear about that, but I just keep writing letters like, oh, John Lavin, you just got your series picked up. I just graduated from UT. I'm a writer. I would love to work for you. I'll, I'll work for free. And no one's going to let you work for free because it's, I think, illegal at this point. But, you know, you put it out there and who knows what could happen. You were talking about um, uh, you'd collaborate with production companies then come together and pitch to networks. I guess um, if you could talk about different ways that someone can get into the room with you and pitch. How do you how do you hear entertain offers in what different ways? Through agents. Um, you know, if you're if you're a writer, you really have to have an agent. But if you don't have an agent, how do you get it? How do you get it? It's like the chicken and the egg thing. Like testing. I'm a good writer, but <clears throat> testing, I can't testing. get any meetings, uh, and no one will read my script if I don't have an agent. Um, so that that is tricky, but everything I hear has to have an agent or a manager representing the writer. Or I can't hear it because then people can sue people. Um, but getting an agent is a whole nother, like I don't even know. It's a hard thing. Yeah, we'll talk about that another day. <laughs> I'll stay for two more hours and tell you. If you want. <laughs> no, it's, but it's hard. I mean, again, you just have to keep writing and talking to everyone. Not that anyone asked me this question, but should I go Yeah, You just have to keep writing and talking to people and people like myself and the amazing professors that you guys are around every day. I have the script. Will you read it? Do you think it's good enough for me to send to an agency? You can send them to agencies. Most likely they're not going to get read. Every once in a while you hear about somebody who 
for some reason they picked up a script on a desk and it was a submission that came in and you just never know. Um, just make sure you register it, right? Don't you have to like email, mail it to yourself or something? WGA. Yeah. Um, managers are sometimes easier to get than agents in my experience. Um, man and managers can be great, you know. And that's another thing to look through. It's like all of the – it used to be in like a 411 book or something, but I don't know what it's in now. But like all the, the – there's CAA and WME and UTA and the big agencies, Paradigm, Gersh, all of that. But then there's also like innovative artists and some smaller agencies that sometimes want to take chances on younger, less experienced writers because um, they're just hungry and they want to make a name for themselves. And same with management companies. Um, so, and again, use your UT, you know, I've, I've been taking the screenwriting class and we've been doing this and that and I, I have some projects and I'd love to meet with you when I'm in town and then be ready to fly to LA if you have to. <laughs> but you just got to put yourself out there to everybody you see and meet and people want to help people. So there's a uh, video online where Matt and Trey are talking about their story process. Um, and it's like, this happens, and then this happens, but then this happens. And I was hoping maybe you could talk a little bit about how they kind of use that in the writer's room and talking about how, like... How they structure stuff? Yeah, maybe. Because what they say is that a lot of movies and TV shows, they just go, and this, and this, and this. Uh -huh. and then, yeah, then. And, and then. Therefore, but. Yeah, therefore, but. So I was hoping maybe you could. Oh, my God. I was so way. wasted those 12 years. Um, uh, I mean, they're like genius storytellers, and whatever they said and whatever they said is amazing and perfect. I don't, I don't remember exactly um, them, like, outlining it that way. I mean, we would have big, we did have big, um, and they still do big, like, you know, boards, and Trey was very big into note cards, so he would lay stories out in order through note cards and move things around a lot. He also have this has this, like, evil genius brain where he could go write pages 13, 14, and 15, go in the sound booth, record it with Matt, come back, and then write page four and six. Like, he somehow, he, he works unlike anyone else I've ever worked with, um, but then it all like somehow magically comes together in this brilliant puzzle. So I, I don't, I don't, I don't know which, I don't know what exactly you're referring to, but I can say they do beat a story out very much like a, a feature film in the sense that you know act act breaks, and not that you don't have that in TV, you do. But the way that I've seen a lot of feature writers break out their stories with note cards and and really stick to that structure. Um, and really not go off and write uh, until that structures. And then he would take them off in order and then go to his computer and write. Um, that probably doesn't super answer your question, but. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Would it be possible to uh, discuss a little bit more detail and like the, the first six or seven points there? Uh, and maybe even put some dollar signs behind it. I'm thinking when you when you start with an idea pitched by a writer that's brought in by an agent, then then 
who locks up rights, who does the actual work, are you are you buying a team? That's a great question. Your team and and they really are working with your team, right? And, you know that kind of detail. Yeah, yeah, sure. So, um, well, in this case, I was talking about a, a, a pre-existing property, right? Like Shooter or Minority Report, but pretend it's an original idea, like a pitch, and you bring it in. Your agent sets a meeting with me. You bring it in. You pitch it to me. I love the idea. I make a deal request that goes to our business affairs department. One of those lawyers calls your agent and finds out what your quote is. So if, you've, if you're a fairly substantial writer, like if you're a showrunner-level writer, um, you know, you could make on, on that script, we would do a script deal for you, and it could be anywhere between 150000 to 350000 usually. Some people are above that, but very few, at least in the current climate. Um, you know, if you're a first-time writer or first-time, um, you have never sold a show before, let's say, you could be a, whatever, WJ minimum plus 10%, so maybe $75,000, $80,000 range. Um, once that deal closes, that's when you come back in and we work on it, well, there's two. There's a couple different ways you could do it. You could write the, how, the, the script in-house with me and my team. So in other words, we okay your idea, we okay your outline, you go off and write it, bring it back to us. At that point, we may attach a director, um, attach, if you're, a le if you're not a showrunner, attach a showrunner, and then take it out as sort of a pre-packaged deal with a script, a showrunner, a writer, and maybe a director, depending. Um, so that's one route. The other route is... We do a deal for your idea. You um, come in. We work on a pitch and get the pitch like to a nice tight 15 minutes, 12, 15 minutes, and you go in to all the networks, set up all those meetings, and, and sell it, hopefully in a competitive situation for a lot of money. Mm -hmm. um, and the hope being as the studio, we want to get our money that we've laid out on you back at some point. We don't always get it at that initial setup stage. Sometimes they just pay 50% of whatever you are paying the writer, but once it goes to series, we would get that whole amount. Sometimes if it's competitive, they'll pay the full amount and they'll say, we're gonna guarantee we're gonna make a pilot. And that helps take it off the table if there's other buyers. Or it's just like so incredible, they're like, we have to make this. You know, they'll give you a, what's called a put pilot. Um, or in like the most awesome scenario, you go straight to series, but you usually need a script for that to go straight to series. Is that, does that answer everything? Yeah, it does. And that's, I, I'm taking that's a pretty long timeline, too, to get to a, a strip, script, and it's probably a lot of input. Well, it depends. I mean, stakeholders. I, my, my point of view is if I get in business with a writer and I love, that means I love their idea, I don't want to fuck with it. Like, I don't, I don't want to change it. Um, I, I don't like it when writers pitch a show and all of a sudden the studio or network are changing everything they bought. It doesn't make any sense to me. Um, so that's my sort of philosophy, and I try to keep our notes pretty minimal. Like we do a round of studio notes, and hope that the writer can get it, get those notes, you know, done well in a couple weeks, and then it goes to the network, and then they weigh in. That's sort of the best process when each place has a round. Sometimes it's it could be two or three rounds, though. It just depends. But I think overnoting, I mean, if it's a good writer and you love their idea, like, you don't want to mess with it very much. So, yeah. Well, 
Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to Media Industry Conversations. This has been a production of the Department of Radio, Television, and Film in the Moody College of Communication at the University of Texas at Austin. For more information, visit rtf.utexas.edu slash mic. This course was made possible by the work of Dr. Elisa Perrin and Cindy McCreary with lead TA, Tim Piper, and the program was produced and edited by the technical TA, that's me, Kyle Rather. We hope you join us next time for another Media Industry Conversation. Western land, mighty wonderful to see.